turn to the person next to where you're sitting, and you could possibly even talk about a scar. Maybe it's a scar that's visible on a hand, or my scars are primarily on my face, actually, um, which would explain a lot of my problems. But there's one particular scar that stands out, and I'll tell you that story. It's a scar that took place when I was five years old. And the reasoning behind how this scar was formed, how the wound happened, can only be understood in the mind of a five-year-old. So it makes no rational sense as an adult. But one Sunday afternoon, following, following church and our Sunday afternoon meal, for some reason, I was compelled to go out into our backyard where our St. Bernard, Bernard named Heidi was tied. And for some reason, I thought I'd do a Superman on her and jumped on her. Now, imagine for a moment that you're soundly asleep and someone comes and jumps on you. My guess is that your first response is like, oh, that was interesting, but you're probably going to have some sort of a shocked response. Well, Heidi had a shocked response, which led her to bite me in the forehead. And so from there, I went into the house. I, I, I have no recollection of the event. It was my, my parents telling me the story. I came into the house. I imagine it was not a pretty sight. And I was taken off to the hospital where I received 26 stitches. It was only later that my parents were told by our neighbors in the backyard exactly what happened. They said, yeah, we saw, I was Danny then. I, they saw Danny come out and just jump on Heidi. And so they understood that it wasn't an unprovoked dog attack by any stretch of the imagination. So that's a wound. And I, as I said, there's several other scars that I have from uh, any objects from a a metal wire holding up a badminton net to a stone that my brother and I, for some reason, were pretending was a baseball and we were throwing back and forth at each other. Again, boys, uh, who, makes no sense. So, those physical wounds, and even that one, it's a funny story to tell now. At the moment when I went in the house with blood rushing out of my forehead, it was not a pretty sight. But it's funny and amusing to share now. But we also have emotional wounds that we've experienced, and there's scars as a result of emotional wounds. And these scars are not necessarily visible, but they're scars that can be experienced just as the wounds were experienced as well. And as Jason said, this whole topic of forgiveness is difficult. It is not easy. It is not easy for us to engage with. And as a counselor, I'm sitting with people every week who are at some stage on the forgiveness journey. Either they're at the very beginning where they might say with some colorful language, there's no way I'm going to forgive, to all the way over to the edge where they're walking in forgiveness and living out the implications of having forgiven someone who hurt them. The bottom line that I, I want us to remember this morning is that forgiveness is a supernatural work. It's not something that you clench your fist, grit your teeth, and say, I am going to do this. It's a work of God in you and through you. And so even as I'm sharing during these moments this morning, I want to invite you to have an open heart, an open spirit, an open mind to what God would want to be saying to you. He may be inviting you. In fact, he will be inviting you to be extending forgiveness or to consider beginning that journey or continuing that journey with someone in your life. And as you're taking notes, it might mean like just write down the person's first initial or their first name or something that takes you back to, to who this person is or who the people are that God might be inviting you to forgive. And one of the places that we get stuck is in this whole idea, well, the thing we often hear is forgive and forget, forgive and forget, forgive and forget. And that can keep us caught. And we think, well, I can't forgive if I'm not going to be able to forget. 
And so if we choose not to forgive, and I'll, I'll address that aspect of forget, forgetting in a few moments, but when we focus on the pain and ignore the healing power of Christ through the act of forgiveness, it ends up that not only do we not have intimacy and closeness with God, but also we lack intimacy and closeness with other people. It impacts relationships, even relationships with people who may have had nothing to do with the initial wound. Last week, Pastor Rick talked about that spiritual correlation that Jesus references in Matthew 6, where he says, you know, unless you forgive, you won't be forgiven. Now, at one point in time in my life, I kind of saw this as Jesus kind of being like the mean big brother kind of deal, like tit for tat thing, crossing his arms and saying, well, you know, Dan, if you're not going to forgive other people, I'm not forgiving you. And I kind of saw him with having a bit of an attitude. But I've come to realize, like we just sang, you are good. You know, he is good. And that's not his heart towards us at all. Instead, he's inviting us. He longs for us to feel freedom. And he's saying, as Pastor Rick indicated, you know, if we're failing to forgive someone, it's as though we lock ourselves in a room with that person. And we're going to sit there and wait until that person says, hey, here's what I did and I'm sorry. And then we'll forgive. Or maybe we just lock ourselves in a room or we lock ourselves in a prison of our own making because we've refused to extend forgiveness to someone. And so Jesus is saying, as long as you create a barrier between yourself and another by refusing to forgive, you are not able to give or uh, you're not able to receive the forgiveness that I have for you. And so the way we receive his forgiveness is by removing the barrier and being willing to extend forgiveness to others. Forgiveness is a gift that God has given. It's a gift he's given to you and to me. And when we forgive others, it's actually like a gift that we give to ourselves. Because this is, I've heard this said numerous times, when we choose to forgive someone, we find that the person we set free is ourself. And so that's the invitation that Jesus is inviting us into. You know, forgiveness would definitely be easier if it, we could just simply forget. Forget the harm. And if your wounds are still present, it's difficult to feel the healing God provides in that act of forgiving. And you decided, if you decided to forgive, but your heart and mind are not forgetful at all. And for some of us, that whole, that whole piece of not being able to forget will keep us from entering into forgiveness because we can't forget. Several years ago, there was an individual um, in a relationship who I felt um, didn't have my back and even betrayed me in particular ways. And this individual, it, it was a process for me to work to the place. I mean, I knew I needed to come to the place of forgiving this individual. And I think I was at a, a gathering with some others and there was an exercise that we were involved with where we were invited to just kind of sit before God and say, God, is there somebody that you're asking me to forgive? And so this person came to mind. And so I went through the practice that, that we were using at that time, and I extended forgiveness to this individual. So I thought, I'm all good. Well, I don't know how long, maybe it was weeks, maybe months later, I was going to our post office to, to do something, to mail something, get stamps or something along those lines. And as I'm driving up, I see the parking lot, and I see a car that looks like the car that this individual drives. And then I looked into the window and I saw this individual inside. And I said, my post office business can wait. And I kept driving. It wasn't too far down the road then that the next thought came to me as I, I was feeling some pretty significant emotion. And the thought was, 
but wait a minute, God, I thought I forgave this person. I thought, you know, I dealt with that, and I thought that's done. But it's as, then, it's as though I heard God say to me, you know, that still small voice, gentle, it was very gentle. It was, Dan, there's more there. There's more forgiveness. There's more freedom for you. And so, you know, I continued on that journey to the point where even retelling it now, it doesn't have the same sting. A lot of that sting has been removed. So today we're speaking about forgiving in such a way that we find healing. And when we do that, here's what we mean. We talk about it being a supernatural act. It's forgiving even if there is not a restoration of the relationship. It's forgiving those who might refuse reconciliation or not be trustworthy enough for reconciliation. So before talking about what forgiveness is, I just want to mention quickly what forgiving is not. First off the bat, forgiving is not approving. It's not saying, ha, no biggie, it's okay, it's all right. I know you're having a bad day. No, it's, it's not approving or it's not excusing. In John 8, 11, there's a woman that's brought to Jesus who is caught in the act of adultery. And there, there's a lot to this story. But at the very end, he tells her to go and leave your life of sin. Essentially, he's saying is, you know, when you leave, don't go back to the same behavior that is not life-giving, that is actually taking life from you. And then in Numbers chapter 14, uh, this passage where, uh, where God's kind of had it up to here with the Israelites. And that's, this has happened numerous times through, through God's relationship with, with his people, the Israelites. And, and I don't know that, ever, that God ever really gets like on the edge, but it almost seems like he's on the edge here. He says this, he says to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me even after all the miraculous signs I've done among them? I will disown them and destroy them with a plague. Then I will make you, Moses, into a nation greater and mightier than they are. And so God seems like he's on the edge. And then Moses, it's like Moses talks him back. I don't know that that's what's happening, but it just sounds that way. Moses says, in keeping with your magnificent, unfailing love, please pardon the sins of this people, just as you have forgiven them ever since they left Egypt. And so God relented and he didn't, put this plague on them, but he didn't excuse their behavior. He forgave. It's also not reconciling. Uh, reconciliation is not a requirement of forgiveness, and reconciliation is not even a guarantee that it will follow forgiveness. Reconciliation requires on two individuals acknowledging their part and seeking uh, wholeness in their in healing in their relationship with one another. It's also not denying Denying leads to repression, and that is just not a good place to go. Um, it's not saying it's not a big deal, or it really didn't happen that way, and it's my fault. It, it's not denying. When we deny and we repress, it's like taking a beach ball and being in a swimming pool. I'm sure most, if not all of us, have done this, pushing it underwater. And you can push it underwater and hold it there for maybe a short time, but any movement, one way or the other, and it's likely the beach ball is going to shoot up and you're not gonna be able to keep it underwater. And that is a lot like denial or repression is. We try to keep it down, we try to shove it down, but it's not gonna last. And it's also not forgetting. Again, this line, forgive and forget, forgive and forget. This idea that we can forgive and forget is not even biblical. We often attribute this to God, that well, God forgets our sins. 
No, he doesn't forget our sins. As it says in Hebrews, he says, I will never again remember their sins. It's a choice of his will. It's a choice of his will to not remember our sins. When I think about this idea of forgetting, it paints this picture to me of God being like a a person who's losing their memory and they've just forgotten it like they've forgotten their keys or something like that. But it's a deliberate choice. So forgiving is not forgetting, but forgiving is healing. Forgiving is healing. It's how we find healing. And this, this is counterintuitive. This just doesn't quite line up for us. But until you release your offender and stop poking at your wound, until your focus is not on your pain but on Jesus, you can't experience healing. It's got to be turned to Jesus himself. And that's at the core of the Lord's Prayer and what Pastor Rick talked about last week. It's Jesus. He's the one that brings the healing. And it's the healing of power that doesn't bring justice but forgiveness. He forgives. So forgiving your offender is not about your offender, but forgiving your offender is about your healing. It's about your healing. It's about, you know, what we've been singing about this morning, about God being good. This is what he wants for us so that we can be free. So there are a couple choices. These are hard choices. These are not easy. But a couple choices that will help to go beyond the decision to forgive and actually experience the healing that comes with that. And the first is to let go of what's owed. It's letting go of what's owed. And in our heart, um, it's not uncommon if we've been hurt to think that somebody owes us something. And then what, what we do is we end up developing this ledger. And this ledger can be represented by these books. And in this ledger, we have people's names written down. And then in a column next to that, we have what they did. And then we list what they owe us. And the books, um, you know, they're pretty substantial. And they get to be heavy after a little while. And I actually can't keep walking around holding these. But imagine for a moment that you had something to give me, that you had something good to give me. And you said, Dan, I've got something I really want to give you, and I know you're really going to like it. I look at the books, I look at the ledgers, I look at the list that I'm carrying around, and I'm like, well, um, my hands are kind of full at the moment, but hey, could you just put it over there on the table? Or imagine God saying, Dan, I've got more for you. I've got more in life. I've got more blessing, whatever that specifically looks like, and I want to give that to you. But my hands are full. You know, am I going to say to God, would God just put it on the table over there? But I will put these on the table now. Life can be like that, where we're carrying around these lists of things that we believe people owe us, of debts to be paid. And one of the deeper problems is, if there is a wound that is very deep, is there any payment a person could make to us that would actually pay the debt? Is there any payment that someone could make that would actually pay the debt for the wound that they uh, committed or perpetrated on us emotionally. Is the fact that, let's say, let's say somebody came and said, well, I'll tell you what, Dan, I am sorry for what I did. And would you forgive me? Well, their being sorry, them acknowledging what they did does not mean that 
forgiveness has taken place, I would still need to take that step of saying, yes, you are forgiven. I forgive you. I release the debt. You no longer have anything to pay me. So if you find yourself at a spot where you realize you're carrying a load and you'd like to lighten that, you're, you'd like to be able to have hands that are open and free to receive from God in an intimate relationship or to receive from others. If you want to be healed, if your heart is heavy, if you feel disconnected, the step is to let go. It's letting go of what is owed or what we perceive as owed. The only person who can cancel that debt is you. It's you. Letting go is a choice to not forget the debt, but rather to cancel it, to wipe it out. Letting go is not ignoring, it's not forgetting, it's not denying we are hurt. But forgiving others means choosing not to stay wounded. It means we're choosing not to stay wounded. And if there was anyone who understood what it was to be wounded, it was the Apostle Paul who wrote a good portion of the New Testament. Paul had been beaten for no reason. He had a whole town slander him publicly. He was thrown in jail for no reason. And there were friends of Paul that were drugged through the mud simply because they knew him and they knew, knew Jesus as well. But Paul knew something about forgiving. In 1 Corinthians 13, which is often called the love chapter, there's a verse there where he says this. He says, it, it love, love is not irritable. Love is not irritable. It keeps no record of wrong, no record of wrong, of being wronged. So Paul puts it on his finger on what it's like when the wound is not healed. He says, love is not irritable, but when we have a wound, is it not a reality that we become irritable ourselves? Like even think of the smallest physical wound. Is it possible that a paper cut has just about ruined your day? Or maybe in the morning, getting up, you bang your baby, uh, when you cut your pinky toe, into the corner of a piece of furniture, and you're limping the remainder of the day or for a couple of days, and does that not have the potential to make you irritable? So this irritability, when we're keeping this record, is something that we can carry with us. But Paul is saying that it's love itself is not irritable. There's no record. There's no record of wrong. And so, Paul, forgiveness is the language of love. We cannot experience love. We cannot give love. We cannot receive love if we do not forgive. And we talked about this last week as well, that unforgiveness disconnects us from God and from other people as well. We cannot love anyone well when we choose not to forgive. So, do you have your own record books? Do your record books look anything like this? Now today, in a more technological society, we may use Excel spreadsheets to keep our records, which means that you might even have your record available on your cell phone, on your smartphone. But where do you have a record? Do you keep a record? What does it look like? One of the ways to, to think about this is, do you easily recall how coworkers, friends, or family members have offended you? How many people do you avoid, like I avoided that individual at the post office because of the entries in your record book? Forgiving is a painful process of letting go. There is nothing that is easy or simple about this. Forgiving means that we choose to totally let go of an offense in our hearts and we say goodbye to it. 
Forgiveness doesn't mean that your heart doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that you pretend that the wrong didn't happen. But the real power to forgiveness is that it means you are choosing to cancel an emotional debt. Forgiveness means I choose to forgive your debt and you are not required to pay now or ever. I don't know about you, but that's how I want to be treated by others and that's how I want God to treat me. One of the most beautiful pictures of this, this process of letting go, well, it's beautiful, but it's not beautiful for the goat. It's in the Old Testament where uh, during the the, the Israelites and their, their celebrations of, of Yom Kippur, they, the, the priest would lay his hand on a goat and essentially symbolically put all the sins of the nation of Israel onto this goat. And this goat was called the scapegoat. And this goat was then sent out into the desert. And it's, it's a beautiful picture, but as I said, it's not a beautiful picture for the goat because the goat is not going to meet a very uh, life-giving end. Either an animal will attack it or it will just simply die. But that was to be a picture of Jesus coming, where he would take our sins away from us, where they would be no more. And that's, that's significant. And that's when we forgive, we're essentially saying, it is gone, never to be seen, never to be heard from again. Now, unfortunately, if we think we've forgiven, but we really haven't, sometimes what we might symbolically do is go back out into the wilderness, find this goat, maybe it's on its last legs, or maybe just find the carcass, drag it back, and then say, see, this is what you did. That's not, that's not true forgiveness. If we want to extend forgiveness, we must acknowledge that we were wrong. So extending forgiveness doesn't mean that we don't name what happened. We need, need to name it. In counseling, as a counselor, sometimes, sometimes people poke fun at counselors because of the little statements that they make. Um, one of my favorite uh, Dr. Phil-isms is, you know, so how's that working for you? Um, I don't think I use that too often. Another one is you need to feel it to heal it. To extend uh, forgiveness to someone and to never truly feel the depth of the pain of that wound is not to experience complete, complete forgiveness or to complete healing. You also need to name it to tame it. That's another little cute phrase. Yeah. yeah, we get graduate degrees in these phrases. There's one class on all these phrases that you use. No, actually there's not. But you need to name it to tame it. Naming what the experience was. We can't let go of what we don't know. God cannot heal what we don't feel. So this letting go requires you to bring your wound into the presence of God. You don't let go of a wound on your own. You need God's help. And it's a miraculous work of grace that enables this to happen. It is a supernatural work. The supernatural work of letting go. Of letting go of the injustice. Of letting go of the pain. It's this surrendering. Coming with open hands and surrendering. This is the place that you will allow God to wash your wound. The choice to let go begins the process of working towards healing, realizing that initially we're not going to feel it at first, or we may not feel it at first, but it's a start. So wounds that need healed must first be washed. Wounds that need to be healed must first be washed. And um, physical wounds, wounds that have happened, I've, I've heard stories of procedures that people need to go through to get that wound clean, and I'm not going to explain that or describe that because I don't do well with those images and it would make for a great story if I passed out on the 
platform here, and I, I don't want to have that, have that happen. But that washing can be a very, very painful process. But it's only through the washing that the wound is clean, that the wound is then actually able to heal well. And there's something similar that happens to us emotionally. It can be a painful process. We feel it. We name it. We tell God what it is. But that's part of the cleansing so that the true healing can happen. And so when the scar forms, the scar is going to be a reminder of what happened, but primarily a reminder of God's healing. And it's not the kind of scar that forms, but underneath there's infection that is eventually going to need to be dealt with. So this then brings us to our second choice. So we're letting go of that debt that we believed that someone owed us. And the second choice here is giving consent to God to lovingly deal with your offender. Giving consent to lovingly deal with your offender. And it's important to maybe underline lovingly deal with your offender. This is not, God, I consent to you to, hmm, Allow something terrible to, default, to befall the person who offended me. I'm, I'm not trying to be too descriptive. I, the, okay, the line that comes to me is, you know, not for them to die or anything, but maybe for them to get hit by a truck. That's not lovingly dealing with your offender. So even with this, we're acknowledging that we cannot actually forget when someone hurts us, as nice as that would be. But we can choose to overlook an offense. We can choose to overlook an offense. And this is about not focusing on uh, specifically on the wound. Um, if you want to be healed, if we want to be healed, like last week, Pastor Rick used this imagery of the courtroom in the ER. But if you have a physical wound and you showed up in the courtroom asking the judge to do something what a doctor, like what a doctor should do, you'd be looked at a little strangely, like you, you do know you're in the wrong place. But so often when we're wanting to be healed emotionally, we may run to the courtroom instead of to the metaphorical ER where the true healing can take place. So this is challenging. This is a challenging invitation. And often we don't experience total forgiveness because we just simply make it an intellectual decision, but we continue to hold on to our right to point the finger at our offender. And I don't know if you've ever done that, where maybe you've not literally been pointing the finger, but you continue to rehearse and remind yourself what happened. And in that reminding yourself and rehearsing the story, that's as though you are pointing the finger at the person. And you're not getting the healing that is available through forgiveness. And so in this finger pointing, God actually has a prescription for it. And we see it in, in Isaiah. He says, remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. So if you want to get out from under, you know, the debt that we already talked about, you know, selling someone they didn't have to pay, if you want to get out from under that, part of it is to become aware of, am I pointing a finger? And so getting out from under that is to also stop pointing the finger. You know, notice, notice, or have you noticed, what people who blame others are like. You know, show me someone who's busy pointing a finger, blaming others, 
and I'll show you someone who is angry and bitter. If you're busy pointing your finger, you may in fact be angry and bitter. That anger and bitterness is a sign of an infected wound. And it's a sign that there's deeper healing that God wants to do in your life. So sometimes we think it happened and it just can't pretend it didn't. And, and this is something important to keep in mind, that we forgive people, not sins. Only God forgives sins. We forgive people. We forgive the one who harmed us. And when we give God consent to lovingly deal with our offender, we are choosing to stop pointing our finger and blame. We stop focusing on sin. Instead, we focus on how God can heal our hearts. It's God, how do you want to heal my heart? If we're to experience what Isaiah talks about with this being filled with light, having the darkness of pain lifted, having our strength restored, we need to surrender to God. We need to trust God to give us that brighter future, to heal our wounds, and to give us a better life. That's God's reward for us. That's his gift to us when we forgive. It's restoration and strength. But we need to stop pointing the finger. We need to put the finger, that pointer away. And what this means of us in a practical way is leaving the offense behind. It's committing to ourselves that I am not going to continue to tell myself the story of that wound. I'm not going to keep repeating it to other people. I am not going to keep revisiting it. I am choosing to leave it in the past. I'm choosing to forgive. And this is tough. And this whole aspect of pointing the finger, when we do that, it actually makes us a lot like somebody else in the Bible that's named the accuser. And the accuser is Satan, enemy of God and our enemy as well. The accuser points a finger. He tells us about our past. He tells us that what we don't deserve. He tells us how we're good for nothing. And that is not the person that I think we want to be aligning ourselves with. Do you, do you know anyone yourself who is bitter and don't look around the room, don't poke anybody, nothing like that? What's it like to be around someone who's bitter? What's your life like if you choose bitterness over forgiveness? Bitter people are toxic. Bitter people are unhealthy. Bitter people are often depressed. And there's actually science behind bitterness telling us how it affects us both physically and emotionally. Physically, this chronic anger or this bitterness can put us into a constant fight or flight mode where we're always on this adrenaline rush. It can result in changes in our heart rate, our blood pressure, our immune responses so that we're more susceptible to getting sick or to getting diseases. And then those changes can increase the risk of depression, heart disease, diabetes, among other things. And then emotionally, we may experience things like severe depression, post-traumatic stress disorder. But imagine if you could forgive. Imagine what forgiveness looks like. I have the privilege, as I think I mentioned earlier, of walking with people every week who are at different places on their journey of forgiveness. And it's a beautiful thing to see people move from one place to the next to the next, eventually to a point where they're walking in freedom that they never ever could have imagined earlier. And, you know, you can see it in people's eyes that they've actually forgiven. 
People have a new light in their eyes. There's a gentleness in their very person, the way they conduct themselves. Forgiveness is challenging because it's miraculous. Forgiveness gives new life to marriages. Forgiveness gives new life between parents and their children. Forgiveness gives new life between siblings, between coworkers, between friends. Forgiveness changes and transforms. And here's one of the reasons why. Whenever we refuse to forgive someone, another analogy that can be used is it's as though we're renting out space to them in our own mind, except they're not paying rent, we're paying them, which is kind of a a strange thing to consider that. But we're renting out space to them in our minds. But when we've forgiven, they're no longer renting that space. And then that space makes it possible for us to give and also to receive love from people around us and also from God. There's a, an account or an experience that I had during this last year with, with a woman who I'd met with for a short period of time in counseling. She was raised in a very conservative church, and she was abused by her brothers, both physically and sexually. And as many who have been abused, uh, there was the silence of her parents that added to that. They didn't acknowledge it, maybe ignored the signs that were there. And also part of the pain was that she didn't have a voice. She didn't have a way to express the pain that she had experienced, to be able to talk about her wound. But when I met her, she had already done considerable work on her journey of forgiveness. And so in some ways, I think she was thinking that I was maybe that last step because she had never met with a male counselor. And maybe the next step was to meet with a guy um, that, that God might even do a bit more healing there because her abusers had been, had been guys as well. So together we worked on the implications of forgiveness. And, and prior to this, she'd also received a diagnosis of cancer and it, and it was terminal. And she was undergoing all kinds of different treatments, hoping, hoping that something would work medically to, to sustain her life. And when we met, she would come in, she was physically very weak carrying an oxygen bottle that she would need to, to assist in her breathing. So while she was physically weak, I don't know that I've met anyone more spiritually and emotionally strong than this woman. For what she had endured and the journey she'd been on, the journey of forgiveness. She had an uncommon strength and dignity. And the reason I say had is because she died. The cancer took her body, but there's a way that her spirit lives on. And she would talk about preparations for her, for her funeral service, her memorial service. And she was very intentional, and I hope her parents honored this wish. She wanted to wear a white, very plain white wedding dress because she saw her death as being, you know, crossing to that place of meeting her groom, meeting Jesus and experiencing the life that she was longing for, complete healing and complete restoration. So if you're willing to let go of what's owed and give God the consent to deal lovingly with your offender, you need to make space for God to heal your heart. And that's part of the invitation this morning. You may carry that memory of what happened, but Jesus can heal your wound And that scar that gets left behind can simply be a reminder of the grace that God extended to you. 
The world around you, the world around me, the world around us is looking for something supernatural, unexplainable, and miraculous that will change them. Every time you extend forgiveness, you experience a miracle of spiritual and emotional healing. Every time you forgive, you open the opportunity for the work of Christ to bring about reconciliation. It may not happen, but it opens the door for reconciliation. Every time you forgive, you invite God to heal the wound. You may still have the scar, but the scar doesn't have to bring you pain any longer. It can remind you of God's healing work. So we say, God, heal our wounds, but leave the scars. The scars are nothing to be ashamed of. They're nothing to hide. Just like our physical scars tell stories, so too our emotional scars tell the stories of renewal, of restoration, and redemption. So as we come to a close this morning, I want to invite you with your response card. If there's something that maybe you've written down, a note that, God, I realize that there is someone or maybe more than one person that you're asking me to forgive or to possibly begin that journey of forgiveness, you might just write in there as a prayer request that God is asking me to continue or to begin this journey. Would you pray for me? You don't need to write down the person that God might be asking you to forgive, but just simply expressing, I need prayer. I need, I need someone coming alongside me knowing I'm not doing this alone. And, and maybe even this morning, there's something going on inside and you're like, I can't get out these back doors without having somebody pray with me. And so Prayer ministry is available through the back over here to, to my left and to your right uh, for you to receive prayer even before you leave today uh, towards, towards this goal of, of healing. So the question, will you begin to make that choices that will heal your heart? Which choice do you need to make today to either begin or to continue that journey towards forgiveness? So if you're ready to begin that journey or to continue it, Maybe this can be your prayer today. And I just ask that we all bow our heads together as we pray. Jesus, I choose to let go of what's owed to me. Help me let go. I choose to give you consent to deal with my offender. Help me to surrender them to you. Jesus, heal my wound, but leave the scar to remind me of your loving grace. I want to be thankful for the scars because without the scars, I wouldn't know your heart and I wouldn't know your healing. Amen.